1: Being supreme all year long now more college football talk with the king of college football it's the chuck oliver show on southern sports today
2: Run along hour two chuck oliver show on this monday and there are times i we Play cuts from coaches occasionally and it's just word salad and it's whenever a coach says all three phases and then thinks he needs to tell me what those three phases are i know they're offense defense and special teams i was like this is word salad he's just reading off screen nick saban he never really was that he had a few points if you were paying attention over the last x uh, 17 years in tuscaloosa before that or anywhere he's been like, I mentioned, I mentioned last week the illusion of choice that he had talked about about 10 years ago and what that meant. And so, you're listening, you know that. Um, eliminating clutter was a big deal with him, creating value for yourself. Now, if you had never thought about this and you just sat back and you heard me say those three things, you may think I've heard him talk about all three of those. He had about, I don't know, a half dozen things that he, and it was always the same thing, folks. It was consistent, and with him, it was real. It was not word salad it was not just spewing stuff out um a lot of respect for the value that he played a role in helping create for so many kids and now he is done with that end of it want to welcome on now guy we've had on before uh 247 sports senior writers also author of the leadership secrets of nick saban john talty welcome back friend how are you
3: great how you doing chuck
2: No, I'm doing pretty good. This is not a softball to have somebody go buy your book, but I've said this for – you can tell when it's just word salad. They don't mean it, and they're trying to come off sounding good, and you know when it's real. Nick Saban, um, there were a few threads that run through a lot of what he says and the idea that I want the players to make choices that create value for them. Um, Just talk about how real that was for him.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys who preach different things, but with Saban, it always felt genuine. I think there's only a few coaches that I could ever have imagined myself wanting to write a book about. Um, And Nick Saban was of course at the top of the list just because I do believe in a lot of what he preached. You know, I think you can go back to really simple things. He talked about the 24 hour rule a lot, which a lot of guys have stolen and, and used now as well. But you know, the, high achievers don't like mediocre people and mediocre people don't like high achievers and things like you're either getting better or getting worse every day. There's no maintaining status quo. There's all these little things that he has said that other people have used to and copied, but I think the way that he was able to deliver those things showed how good of a communicator he was. He was really good at taking really complex topics and simplifying them in a way that made sense, even for dumb reporters like myself. And I think that's going to be missed because I think there's a lot of guys who talk in cliches and talk in word salads and all these different football speak that we hear. Whereas Nick Saban, and and I've heard from lots of coaches in different sports, basketball, baseball, who would watch Nick Saban press conferences just to listen to him talk. I mean, it was appointment viewing because he was so good at communicating those points in a way that can make sense to anybody. Uh, And that's, you know, why I wanted to write the book. And I think that's something that we're all going to miss, not having him uh, get up on Monday afternoons and let loose.
2: So, uh, Kalen DeBoer's now been introduced as the head coach, and we'll get to him in a second. Um, But what do you believe Nick Saban's presence will be? Because they said he'll have an office, and DeBoer said uh, whatever access he wants. Um, I assume he can still eat for free. Um, What will he be around the program? Because he and Miss Terry, it's roots. It's right down the street. They're not, like, quote, moving back home anywhere.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think early on, there's a lot of value in having him help out uh, in terms of putting together a staff, you know, communicating with players, you know, helping Kalen DeBoard navigate what is a very tricky situation right now when it comes to the transfer portal being open and it just being open season on Alabama players right now. We've already seen a few go into the transfer portal, including, including Isaiah Bond, who was their leading receiver who committed to Texas the other day. So, There is value in Saban being around right now. Now moving forward, you know we'll we'll see what happens. I think in some ways you would hope that he's not hanging around that much. I mean I think Kalen DeBoer said all the right things and said, "Hey, I hope he gives me something every single day that can help us get better." And yeah, no doubt if the goat's giving you some good info, that's great. But I don't think you want someone who has such a presence like Nick Saban looming over you uh, because the constant comparisons are already going to be there and. If you're building a new staff and as you're trying to build relationships with your new players, like if Nick Saban standing off to the side, are they going to look to him for the answer? They're going to look to you. So I would think Nick knows that. I would think Nick would not want to be this massive shadow over Kalen DeBoer. But I do think there's a lot of things he could do to help out uh, Kalen kind of hit the ground running right now.
2: All right, so talk about the transition because, I mean I, I don't know, the plays work, all right? Like, Caleb DeBoer knows football. Um, but this job, the dynamic is like no other, and it's set up for success. I mean, there's a whole lot that's right about this program. But still, it's the Bama program, and it's post-Saban. Give me uh, just your impression of, like, what his biggest challenge is going to be in addition to rounding up name, image, lightness dollars, and getting some players.
3: Yeah, I mean NIL dollars are important. Recruiting is important. I think those are the two big things. Um, and I, but I think recruiting is maybe the biggest. And I know that that's already been a point that people are making, and people are you know are kind of some some ways shooing it. I think the biggest change for people is going to be that Nick Saban was an absolute maniac of a recruiter. I mean, this is a guy who prioritized it from day one. And I know people have recently made the, well, you know, he hadn't recruited in the South before he came to LSU. Sure. But he's been a maniac recruiter since, you know, the day he started. I mean, I I talked to there's a story in the book about when he was an assistant at Michigan state crying over, not getting a top recruit who went to Wisconsin. I mean, he was all in on this from the get-go. I don't get the sense that Kalen DeBoer is that guy. So, there's going to be a shift in Kaylin DeBoer is not quite that level of recruiter as Nick Saban is. And how does he take what's been successful elsewhere, getting guys who are a little under the radar, really developing them once they get into the program, when you now have to go head to head with Kirby Smart and Steve Sarkisian for top recruits. like That's not really a world that Kaelin DeBoer has been in much. And so that's a, that's a real question about how he's going to be effective at Alabama. But in terms of, the on-field coaching we know he's a really good coach the guy was in a national championship game a week ago Uh, i don't really worry as much about that but in the sec in particular you got to have the right players and he's got to have the right staff who can help him understand exactly how to make that work because it is different down here and you know this chuck it is different down here compared to indiana or washington or fresno state
2: wrapping up john talta he taps keys and does it about as well as you're gonna find 247 sports senior writer uh, all right. So, I don't know. My my feedback or my impression, what I've gotten from the Alabama fan base, it has not been torches and pitchforks. Um, they're like, all right, move forward. Uh, do you think there's more confidence in burn or who we are? We're Alabama, by God. We'll be fine.
3: Probably a little bit of both, but more the latter. I think that when you've had the two greatest college football coaches ever at one program, there's reason to believe that whomever you hire can be successful. It's been a long time since the wandering years of Mike DeBose and Dennis Francione and Mike Price and all those guys. So I think there's confidence that the program is in a good place and that whomever they hire. I will do well. And again, I mentioned it a second ago, but the fact that Kaelin DeBoer was in a national championship game a week ago, I think does give them confidence that, Hey, this guy is going to have a good offense. He's going to be able to be successful, all those different things. Um, So I do think they like the hire. They got him fast. They seem excited. I mean, nobody was going to, nobody's going to be Nick Saban. And so I think they understand that, but given some of the options available out there, I think they do view Kaelin as one of the better ones they could have gotten. And, People seem excited so far uh, with what he's brought to the table.
2: Mike Shula, appreciate you leaving his name out of it. Um, I guess I just kind of threw it in there. John, thank you for your time, friend. Appreciate you. All right, John, talk to 247. Do you realize how absurd a statement he just made was now absurd because you just can't prove it? He said, maybe the two greatest college football coaches of all time at the same place with nine-foot bronze statues within, I don't know, like 40 feet of each other. That's supposed to be like how you couldn't even know if what he said is accurate. And I don't. I don't know. How did Wisconsin Whitewater get to be a national power? Maybe they've got the guy. Oh, was that Lance Leopold? Wait a minute. It was actually. Oh, shoot. Bad example, Chuck. Um, How did Eastern Washington bat? You know, I don't. Who's the top 10 of all time? I don't know. But (laughs) I'm good with what he said. Of all time, the top two. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Good enough for me. When he was talking about the presence. And Heath, you can, I don't know if you ever heard this or not, but maybe you were there. Um, it was funny. He was talking about, you know, Nick Saban. It's an unbelievable uh, resource, um, to have around, but how much do you want to have him around? Cause you don't want to undermine things. Um, nothing that blatant at Alabama, I'm sure would happen, but I remember hearing a story when Rex Grossman, his final season at UF was Ron Zook's first year. And they were so confounded by the offense at times that like sometime during like the first couple of weeks of the season, Rex Grossman and the other receivers during the game just started using last year's hand signals. Like what Kelvin Kite, I guess, or Carlos Perez. Like they're like, yeah, we're not catching on. They just started going back to Spurrier's hand signals. Like that will undermine confidence in the offensive coaching at some point, I believe. Um, But when the quarterback says do it, that is what you do it's similar to what we were talking about with uh beamer hanging around with beamer this at uh, south carolina correct yeah just the, Hell the big of a resource yeah no you 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 certainly there
4: it's helpful because he's the ultimate resource and that you know he is loyal to you primarily not the school he's loyal to you and so he's going to give you the best counsel for for you and how you handle a situation, but he's not worried about his legacy at the school or anything like that. No. Uh, but no, the, yeah, there, there was definitely that first year. There were some, there were some stories that uh, out of frustration with an offense, that was a muddled offense. You remember that first year they had uh, basically two coordinators. They had Ed Zonbrecker and Larry Fedora, both trying to kind of mesh their schemes together and it created a mess. Man, and Uh there was definitely some talk that, that during the season, uh, Rex and some of the guys just kind of said, you know what, we're going to we're gonna kick it old school a little bit here for a, a play or two. There was definitely an issue there.
2: I hadn't thought about Ed on breaker in a minute and a half. Uh, that's right. He and Fedora, who I'm a big fan of on personal level. I also like his offense. A little too side to side for me, um, but uh, I've always kind of liked it. Yeah, Sexy Rexy and the receivers are like, all right, yeah, we're going back to last year's stuff. Make it work, man. I don't know. They beat Georgia. Beat like a really, really good Georgia team. Ran 82 bubble screens in that game. Uh, tunnels and bubbles, get it out, man. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, but it would undermine the, the confidence you have. Uh, but you just get what you, if you're a quarterback in the moment, you're trying to make something work and then you deal with the big picture later. Well, that's about as big picture as it gets. Now, if you want to talk even bigger picture, we mentioned that jet fish was leaving, um, Arizona to go to, and he's got the Washington job already. So he's gone. Where does Arizona go next? Say what you will about government mandates, politics, science, medicine, COVID, whatever you want to. Um, I will say that Nick Rolovich, he's one of, he is rumored to be one of the candidates, one of the real, for real candidates, For maybe all-time payback and comeuppance ever. Nick Rolovich, if you don't recall, he was... Wasn't he a former quarterback at Hawaii and then got the job there and then got hired away at Wazoo? And there was a mandate that all state employees get the COVID vaccine and he wouldn't do it, so they fired him. And so he sued and that got thrown out or he lost or whatever, but he didn't get any money. Um, And so Nick Rolovich is now apparently in line to at least be talked to, to replace Jetfish at Arizona. So Washington state, which they're in a different, they're in a different spot now. Um, Washington state. And we saw this with Washington state, with Oregon state as well. Uh, What's happened to their budgets. Um, It's been, it's just slashed, man. And so Washington State, which fired Rolovich and then survived the onslaught uh, legally, they could watch the guy that was saying, no, you have to employ me actually go to power whatever for. Like, he could get back into the game at a much higher level than what's going on at the Palouse. So it's a weird potential outcome if that happens. Um, So Washington's got its head coach, and it's going on to the new conference. Wazoo fired Wolovich and moved on with Dickert, and they're happy. They're happy with the on-field results. They are stuck with a Pac-12 conference contract for their head coach, and they don't have Pac-12 conference money anymore. So they got to figure that out. At least Oregon state got the bailout that Jonathan Smith left. And so instead of having a head coach making four and a half, five, they got a head coach making like two and a half. And so Rolovich, who, if he kept the job at Wazoo would be in that, he may surface at Arizona, making for real money again. It could turn out, I don't know who they're going to hire. I, I really don't. Um, but, uh, Dickert is one of the candidates, and so is Rolovich. So this could come and I promise you, Washington State, they wouldn't mind if Dickert got the job. They really wouldn't. I've heard that Barry Odom is a potential as well. So I i heard. I have somebody's I have somebody's phone number and I can text him. He's on tomorrow. Uh, so we will talk, I don't know, Barry Odom and Dickert and Rolovich and a whole bunch of folks. Uh, who could be in line for that job uh, coming up. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, continue this hour two next.
1: Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show.
2: Jonathan Edwards. Dying breed, man. Check out the show continues on this Monday. Small Donovan Edwards, who I will quote the Michigan running back prior national championship game because he was uh, not a 1A to Corum, but he was a heck of a starter when Corum got hurt. Donovan Edwards, big time running back. And then this season, he kind of got passed. And so he's still a big-time running back, but he was, like, third. And going to the national championship game, Donovan Edwards, are you concerned about your playing time? Quote, I ain't even tripping. And then he busted off a couple of long runs. Blake Coram is going to the draft. When I say one of the last remaining times you'll see this, Donovan Edwards, a running back the most identifiable position on the field for numbers that we understand. How many carries, how many yards? Donovan Edwards, a running back, went to a program like Michigan and has waited out his time atop the depth chart. He thought that was going to happen in 2022. was going to be sort of a split it sort of thing. And that almost happened. And then this season, he was supposed to be out after four games. And then certainly after the season, because you know what? I got to take my visits. Not only all of that, none of that happened, but Donovan Edwards has announced he's coming back one more year. He has waited out everything else that was happening on the depth chart and barring, I don't know, an injury or like six transfers in. And I wonder what the new coach will prioritize in the portal. Uh, Donovan Edwards has announced he's coming back to Michigan for what will be his for real, true senior season, and he will be off and running, and I hope he has a great year. I'm a big fan of that kid. Uh, Hey, how's the money for you? Well, here, here's one
4: kind of the same thing, Chuck, that's going the other way. J.J. McCarthy has announced he's going to put his name in for the draft, which is not a shocker that he's doing it, although there were some people who wondered if maybe he would give it another year because there already are some pretty highly touted quarterbacks in this draft. But regardless, I, I just. I'm a little puzzled on the McCarthy thing. Like Mike Tannenbaum. Now, Tannenbaum is an analyst now for ESPN as opposed to employed in the league. And there's a reason for that because, frankly, he was much more known for being a financial guy than a personnel guy. But he still is someone who has had the title of GM in the league. And he says uh, on his social media, quote, McCarthy is a top 15 pick in the draft. He has demonstrated consistent improvement along with a great arm, accuracy, and ability to run. Should be a frontline quarterback in the NFL. I mean, Chuck the numbers are fine. I mean, if you just if we're just going by nothing but numbers, yeah, you know, 22 touchdowns, four oh, picks man. this year, 9 yard How do you average. I get the numbers. Yeah, 91 know, 72.3% completion percentage. That, that that that's all great. The the rating 167.4 went up 12 points from last year. He's improved, but I mean, you look at the two games he played that were the mm-hmm. biggest games of the year, they won and he put together a drive against Alabama. Credit to him for that. But again, 17 27, 221, three touchdowns, nice game. Against Washington, 10 of 18, 140, no touchdowns. I mean, I don't know, Chuck. I I just, I don't get it. I don't get where this idea is that J.J. McCarthy is this high, high high-level player that we have seen thrown around now for two years, especially this year. Oh, he's a first-round pick. I, would you want that guy with the top 10 to 15 pick? Cause I, no, I, 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 I would, would not. <laughs>
2: okay. I want to say he looks right and he kind of does. I'd like him to be a little thicker. Cause in the NFL, you just get hit. Um, but he kind of looks right. He just needs to grow up more. He hasn't physic- finished physically maturing. Here is the truth. And this is only one skill and it doesn't exclude you necessarily arm strength. They always talk about it. Heath, the deep out, um, In the NFL, here's who wins. Quarterbacks who would just soon pick up a cinder block and throw a 20-yard out as a football, and that's not J.J. McCarthy. You can have smarts and savvy and experience, and I want all of that, and I mean it, and it's real. This is the NFL. The ball has to get there.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying the kid's a stiff. I just – when people put this qualifier on him of top 10, top 15, I just don't know what they've watched. I mean, you look at those last couple of games of the regular season – He's like 140 yards, 150 yards. Like, what are you seeing on tape? Where are these NFL throws you're seeing that are so convincing that this is a guy? I get it. He played for Harbaugh, who's an NFL guy, and NFL guys love them some NFL guys. I get that's part of it, but still, I I don't know, man. Maybe I'm going to be completely eating this in two years, but I sure wouldn't feel great if I was a team that took him in the first half of the first round.
2: Go gander at Kellen Moore's college numbers. It's not numbers, not even at the high level in Boise State and we beat who and undefeated. It's how did you get those numbers? And if it was all off of play action and lollipop and the guys across the line of scrimmage rarely look like the guys on your line of scrimmage, that's called context. Uh, So, no, I'm with you on McCarthy.
1: the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast. downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show
2: rolling through this monday on the chuck oliver show and i will tell you through first-hand conversations will muschamp he got some hard bark on him. (laughs) Um, He's very direct and very forward and very just blunt sometimes, which is fine. He's not a bad guy. And there were some times, like after the Georgia Southern thing down in Gainesville, he was unpleasant, but uh, I lost Georgia Southern. Um, But this exterior is what we assign to every bit of the person. And that's that's not true in case of Will Muschamp um and i hope that we all saw at least maybe a side that we didn't blatantly before his kid got a carry in the orange bowl and it was one of my it was my favorite part of the orange bowl that's what i will say uh but will must champ at age like 50 he's now moving off field or 50 couple and will he coach again he doesn't have to he's got the cash but Maybe he's off field and he's just going to, I don't know, be dad and husband and whatever else. Let's welcome on right now. Bigger questions. A lot of things to talk about. Dogs HQ, it's an on three thing. Palmer, Tom's. Palmer, welcome back. How are you?
5: Doing well, Chuck. Doing well. Just trying to uh, stay warm with some of of this cold weather uh,
2: rolling through. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little Will Muschamp because he was hired to be an off-field analyst. And then I think it was the Cochran thing. And he moved to the on-field staff and then in the secondary. And he was just off and rolling. Um, is he really, you expect this to be, he's going to be an off-field analyst like what he was supposed to be three years ago?
5: I do expect that. And, and yes, it was the Cochran thing ahead of the 2021 season. Um, Muschamp was first around the program before that Cincinnati Peach Bowl game. Um, Spent a little bit of time after his, uh, you know, firing at South Carolina and ultimately ended up on the staff in Athens and, like you said, moved on to the field. Um, I I do think that this is going to be an off-field role for him, and I think that this is a situation where, You know, look, he he probably considered retirement. Like you said in in the intro, you know, he's 52, uh, but he's, you know, in a very great position having been a head coach, uh, two SEC programs, a, you know, well-established, well-respected defensive coordinator at multiple programs as well. And so, you know, he's in a position now where he's got an opportunity to step away from the daily grind uh, that is working in – SEC football and working for Kirby Smart and he's got an opportunity to still be a part of that in a way still be a resource to his alma mater um, but step away from it on on a daily basis he's not going to have to be out on the road recruiting he's not going to be allowed to go out on the road recruiting uh, except for special circumstances in in, if Georgia had a staff change or something Um, and, and so you know I think that this is a situation he's got is a kid that's going to Vanderbilt next year will be a quarterback up there and ultimately I think this is a situation where just like he did with Jackson in Athens he, he wants to spend a little bit of time with his family uh and, and you know give Wit the right opportunity up there in Nashville and the respect that it deserves and uh you know be a part of that college experience as well
2: and outstanding for him that he's able to do that uh no doubt at all all right well, let's talk about and I got a text about, I was like, folks, this was a big part of why Nick Saban, his frustration finally boiled over, and there was a lot. But Traveris Robinson uh, was named Georgia's co-defensive coordinator, safety's coach, and that was a frustration uh, over there. So talk about what Georgia has in T-Rob, because I said I blinked, and he's been in the coaching game 17 years. Yeah,
5: I mean, that is a guy that has been, you know, a, much like Muschip, a well-respected uh, you know, highly thought of person in this coaching industry uh, that's been around a lot, of, a lot of these people. You know, it spent time as the defensive coordinator for Mustchamp at South Carolina. Um, you know, it was back at his alma mater at Auburn. It was with Nick Saban at Alabama, um, with, with Mario Cristobal at, at Miami. So, you know, this is somebody that has been around um, a, a lot of, you know, really smart, really successful football coaches um, and programs. And so, you know, to to be able to add somebody like that is just so, so huge. And it's equally as big to keep him away from Alabama as it is to get him on your own staff. Um, You know, Georgia's bringing in an ace recruiter in in Dante Williams to coach the cornerback to replace Fran Brown. Uh, And they're going to get an ace recruiter that has been, in the smart Saban defensive, must defensive style, uh, you know previously they're adding that in in T Rob and so um, obviously there's there's been some rumors that he did interview for the defensive coordinator position at Alabama, um, you know that happened Sunday night. You know what what exactly does that mean for him at Georgia? Right now he is the co defensive coordinator and safeties coach at Georgia, and that is the expectation. Well, I that he will remain that, um, but obviously if a situation were to arise where he were to be able to get sole possession of play calling uh, of a defense there in, uh, in Tuscaloosa, you know, maybe there would be some reconsideration. But for the time being and, and expected for the future, Georgia has a, uh, you know, very valuable piece that they're adding to its staff in t Rob.
2: All right. You tell me if you think I'm overselling this. talking with Palmer Tom's Dogs HQ on three, um, because I can't find even a Georgia fan who's quite as excited about Trevor Etienne as I am. I think he's the. I think he's as good as any running back in the SEC. Uh, and I understand Montreal and his history and Napier and they're using a bunch of all of that. Trevor Etienne should have had fat tongue by the fourth quarter, literally every Saturday. Uh, tell me what you think about Etienne and how he will work into this offense next season.
5: Absolutely. I think that he's a great piece and, um, you know, probably the biggest transfer portal addition that Georgia has, um, especially as you look at that running back room. You know, if you look at the transfers that they're adding, you know, they add three wide receivers and that's you know, a a room that they felt like, you know, pretty confident in. Obviously, you know, they're they're compensating a little bit for maybe not landing what they would have loved to land out of the high school ranks. Um, But bringing back two transfers in Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas and bringing back a guy like Dylan Bell, you feel good about that receiver room, even if you don't go out and you add the pieces that they did in in London Humphreys, Kobe Young, and Michael Jackson. Defensive line, you're bringing back Mazir, Stackhouse, and Warren Brentson. So bringing in Xavier McLeod was not necessarily you know needed. Um, and, and then Jake Pope at, at safety, you feel pretty good about having a guy like Malachi Starks back there. I think as you look at the running back room, you didn't necessarily have a player like Trevor Etienne that, that is in that room. Um, you know, going into next season, obviously, you lose Kendall Milton and Dejan Edwards. You've got Branson Robinson, who you would love to have completely healthy, but it's yep. probably not realistic to expect that until, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure that we see it at all. I, I think he will play next fall. I don't know that he will be the same player uh you know that he would have been if he wasn't you know coming off of a major injury and you know a ruptured patella is harder than an ACL you know from all indications so um, you know, you, you don't know what you've got in him. So you, while you have seven scholarship running backs, three of those are true fresh. One of those is coming off of a major, major, major knee injury. Um, and, and then the other two, Andrew Paul and uh, Roderick Robinson, are a pair of young guys that haven't necessarily been had to be relied upon. So they will be relied upon. Georgia will need those guys to step up. Uh, but to add a guy like Trevor Etienne, I mean, like you said, one of the best running backs in the SEC, obviously, um, you know, f- finishes top 10 in, in yards per game. Um, and, and, you know, being in that backfield with Montrell Johnson, um, you know, the, uh, Florida was the only school that had a pair of guys finishing the top 10, uh, Etienne at nine, Johnson at 10. And so, you know, you put him in a situation like he's going to be coming into an Athens where he is going to be the guy. Uh, I think that, you know, he's got a really, really good chance to blossom as potentially the top back in the SEC.
2: All right, I'm going to take this big picture, and I didn't prep you for this. Um, Just top of mind, what's the chance this Georgia-Texas thing could just because of the dynamic with Saban no longer there and Sark going nope, 8-year contract and we're taking Bama players and now we're in the conference and we host Georgia. I say all that. I think Georgia-Texas there's a chance that becomes the new power rivalry in the SEC. I
5: mean, it certainly has a chance. Um, you know, anytime that you add a, you know, a program that is as traditionally uh, strong as Texas is, you know, and, and you're Putting them in a divisionless model, um, you know, where those teams can match up will match up more often, and you know, you've got a really good shot to have the top two teams playing for the conference title game um, but there's absolutely a chance now I mean Nick Saban is out but I don't think Alabama is gone um, you know I, I don't think that we're going to be talking about Alabama uh, you know as as a thing of the past now our expectations is going to change there uh, maybe over time they probably won't for 2024 the expectation is that Kalen DeBoer will take over a really talented team and be, uh, you know, just as competitive as as Nick Saban would have been. So, you know, I I think that, you know, it's certainly interesting and it's exciting to be able to see two programs like Georgia and Texas match up more often. I also just, you know, wonder in the new world of divisionless football, uh, you know, in the SEC and a 12-team playoff, you know, I I think that you're probably going to be seeing, um, you know, three maybe four SEC teams in the playoff each year and um you know I certainly think that Alabama is is going to be in that conversation but Georgia and Texas are going to be uh kind of leading the way for the SEC with the likes of Tennessee, Oklahoma, LSU, um you know Auburn, Florida, those are the teams, Texas and those are the teams that you could see pushing Ole Miss, you know got to throw them in there right now. Um with the way that Lane Kiffin has hit the transfer portal and, and, you know, reloaded that roster, they're going to be one of the best teams in the league next year. Those kind of teams, that that second tier in the SEC, uh, you know, I think those are the teams that are going to be competing to make it three, four, uh, you know, maybe even five teams, you know, make the playoffs. Uh, But, you know, I think that you are regularly going to see the likes of Texas, Georgia, and Alabama in that 12-team field.
2: Last thing, and I want a quick uh, opinion from you. Uh, the last 19 games, Georgia is 16-3 and versus Auburn. A 25-year-old Georgia fan. Um, like, I remember hearing, like, older LSU fans, oh, Ole Miss, I hate him And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, back in the 60s. And so, okay. Um, is that what Auburn, Georgia is to the 25 year old? I keep hearing these older people talk about that series. Like, what, do, what, the, a Georgia student right now, a recent grad, what is the Auburn series to that person?
5: I think that there's a lot of crossover between the two schools, obviously, um, you know, both geographically connected to the Atlanta area, the metro Atlanta area. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pull from Atlanta to Auburn, um, you know, and obviously the pull from Atlanta to Athens. And so I I think that that rivalry is certainly there. Um, You know, the games that those two teams have played, you know, there have been some, uh, you know, very, very competitive ones and and some, you know, chaos that has seemed to happen in that rivalry. Um, You know, obviously the, the way that it has shifted since Kirby Smart came to Athens, um, you know, with, with the win in 2016 and, and then splitting the series but winning the more important of the two in 2017 and not having lost since then, um, you know, you you want to see Auburn get back to competitiveness in the SEC. Um, if, if you're a college football fan, if you're an SEC football fan, uh, if you're a fan of Georgia, you do not want to see that happen because you regularly play them, um, you know, how regularly that will be. Uh, remains to be seen, you know, depending on what the SEC scheduling model looks like. Yep. I hope that it is an every year thing, um, you know, but obviously but obviously, because there are those deep, uh, you know, rich traditional roots. Um, but, you know, I, I do see what you're saying there with maybe the on-field rivalry hasn't been, uh, you know, quite what it, it used to be. Um, and, and you know the the current UGA student, the recent UGA student, probably looks more to Alabama as, as that opponent, um, you know more so than they do Auburn because yeah. of and, and I would throw Tennessee in there too, because I think Tennessee being uh, you know a competitive team in the east, now obviously the, the division is a thing of the past, and you won 't see Georgia and Tennessee. Uh, you know, playing for, you know, one of the top spots in the division and a spot in the SEC championship. Um, But certainly Alabama has become that, uh, you know, biggest rival in terms of the thing that stands between Georgia and where it wants to go.
2: I can't believe you mentioned four schools and didn't even say Florida. Uh, That's just (laughs) – that ain't good for Billy Napier. Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, Uh, Palmer, Tom's, Dogs HQ, that's an on-three site. And he didn't mention Billy Napier. Like, he went through four of the schools and their place and where they are for the Georgia either student or recent grad, and that's just a reflection of what that person sees. That person sees you kind of owning the Florida thing right now. That sees you really owning the Auburn thing, and that's been a decade and a half, uh, more Tennessee has been a nice bounce back. It's been more verbal than actual results, at least come to Georgia. Do you realize South Carolina for a minute became the fit? This goes back to, I want to say, like, I'll say, was it Lou Holtz straight to Spurrier? Yeah, during those times, late 90s, mid 90s, like there was a time when it was about 10 years, 12 years, whatever, South Carolina was... At varying degrees of a fifth legitimate rivalry game in the city. they only played twelve. And when George O'Leary and Ralph Friedgen had it rolling at Georgia Tech and Tuberville at Auburn and Fulmer, like folks, there were bam, 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 five different times throughout the season. And Jim Donahue's looking around, going, "I'm getting fired for this." We will take a break. Wrap up next.
1: Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate them already, and I've had multiple meetings last night today with them, individually, leadership groups. I I know how badly they want to continue the tradition, how they want to do it the right way, and... Them just getting to know me here in just a few hours, it's been a blast. And I can't wait for the journey that lies ahead.
2: He's the Alabama head coach and former Alabama wide receiver Isaiah Bond, who has entered the portal and now committed to Texas, says, well, I made a business decision. Says Nick Saban has retired. Just like the business world, you make the decision that is best for your company. My company right now is my draft stock. I feel like I'm putting myself in a position to increase that and have better draft stock. Hey, just on its face, can you argue with what he's saying there? I'm going to go from a new guy with his own ideas and Jalen Millions to Sark and Quinn Yours is coming back and they need at least a couple of receivers. And, hey, look, I let Alabama. Like, everything he says on its face, in the reality of January 24, he's right, isn't he?
4: I suppose, although you are still getting a head coach who's known for being a really good guy when it comes to the passing game. So I would say there certainly was possibilities for him there. Now, maybe he doesn't think much of Milrow as a quarterback compared to Quinn Ewers as a quarterback. And yeah, as you mentioned, Chuck, you lose a guy like A.D. Mitchell. Uh, Texas does have a need for receivers, but yeah, you never know how that works out, too. I mean, there's been previously an alabama receiver that transferred there that didn't work out that might have been more about off field stuff but remember isaiah nair the wide receiver from wyoming that yeah. was a huge yeah, deal transfer a couple Tennessee years ago. lost him a big big deal that they lost him to texas well he was there two years and it never worked out for him either so it's one thing to transfer to texas with a lot of hype it's a different thing to actually take advantage of it now mitchell did Jai so Hall. maybe he can too the other thing yeah. too chuck is i mean you know how this works in alabama if you have a play like 4th and 31, they make paintings of it in Alabama, and that's going to be on people's walls in their den for 15, 20 years. I don't know. It might not be the worst thing to have a little bit more of a tie to the place where you'll be remembered for that play forever, but uh, he's thinking short-term, and obviously short-term he thinks so this gets him more catches, which gets him more eyeballs, which gets him more dough.
2: Is that Daniel Moore that yep. I'm recalling? There's the kick, which was Van Tiffin. There was the uh, Antonio Langham, his deal. Um, There was the interception against what there was the play against Miami. There was a play against uh, Florida. There's a series of, of all of these. Um, And you're right. You get, you get a painting and then people buy it and get it framed. And then you autograph it for years.
4: Yeah. I I just, to me, I I don't know when you have that to build your NIL rep off of, I wouldn't have been in a hurry to leave the place where you've got that. But again, he might be thinking, what you talked about, great coach and Sark Bendis. for offense and a, a quarterback that is maybe more of a pure passer than what you've got with Milrow. But I'm not sure it's as much of a lock business-wise as he seems to think it is.
2: Uh, and it never is. As you said, I think you were went a Jai Hall that went to Texas or yep. just declared, and then it didn't really change. Like he t- here, here is the big curveball, and I'm not saying this for every kid because there are plenty, like Jamison Williams, he might have been Ohio State's like fifth best player. He was our fourth best receiver. He's like, I got to go somewhere. Um, you still have to work and compete and win the job and move up ahead of two or three or four or five other people. You still have to do all of that stuff, even when you transfer.
4: While well, we've got a second, by the way, Chuck, since we're talking Alabama, I want to mention one quick pop culture thing, which we normally don't do on this show. Yesterday was the 52nd anniversary of the debut of Sanford and Son. And the reason I bring this up is, Chuck, do you know – what Bear Bryant's favorite TV show was? Tell me it was Sanford and Son. It was, in fact, Sanford and Son, at least according to the book The Last Coach by Alan Barrow, which I would encourage anybody who is interested in Bear Bryant and his history. There have been a lot of biographies through the years, but that's another really good one. Apparently, Bear found that show absolutely hilarious. And ever since, every time I think of that show, I just imagine him with the the brown liquor in the Chesterfields sitting back in the chair and just chortling that deep, low laugh about red fox I just love that image it's always made me laugh So 52 years ago Bear Bryant's
2: favorite show came on the air yesterday oh that Rollo keeping Bear in stitches appreciate everybody coming here for your college football conversation give us 22 hours we will recharge the batteries be back this time tomorrow more Chuck Oliver Show
0: the warm air the sounds of baseball it's got you thinking about hitting the road